Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. Today, I have a dear friend of mine on, Justin Amine, calling in from the other side of the world, it feels like, in New York City. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to talk a little about you and how we met and get, let you share your heart and what you're doing um, professionally in the world. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You guys, Justin is a dear friend. I consider him one of the most special people I've had the chance of meeting. Justin and I met years ago through a mutual friend um, and after he had been actually nominated and awarded a special service award um, for, it was called Points of Light, um, that President Obama's office wanted to issue to him. And they asked me to actually present the award to him. And we got to meet him uh, in Utah. His family actually ha has a property in Park City where I'm from originally. And when I met him, I was like, this is the most spectacular young Man, I just can't believe it because you're a little bit younger than me, but you 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 have like this world of experience, um, and you've spent your life and your family has spent their lives um, looking how to save the world, literally the planet, um, through sustainability and using the private sector as a tool for that. I remember listening to your TED talk, which anyone can check out, um, that where you discuss uh, the prolific issue of food waste, especially in North America but in the developed world and how we can address that. And now that turned into one of the most stunningly cool brands that, you, by the way, you guys can pick up a target called Do Good Food. Um, Justin, why don't you share a little bit about your story from the beginning? I mean, you've been everything from like Forbes 30 or 30 to President Obama Awards. Like you're, you've just been getting lots of attention in the media. I see you all the time on the news talking about this. Why do you think the world has kind of turned to you as a thought leader and an expert and what tell us a little about your story around sustainability. Awesome. Um, yeah, so the story of kind of my journey is really predicated upon the family's background. So we've been serial entrepreneurs now for about 30, 40 years. My dad started off as a plumber. And since that, we've built about three and a half billion dollars of infrastructure and in energy, telecom and renewables. So we're able to come at kind of these large scale problems with a real unique uh, focus where how do we take this entrepreneurship, engineering and financing to finally bring sustainable solutions to scale and work with some of the biggest and largest global companies. And so that's kind of been really the kind of pioneering focus from, well, 10, 12 years ago, we kind of got into solar. Um, and at that time, we started building large-scale solar projects for companies like Pfizer, Eli Lilly, and Amazon. And we made six flags the first amusement park in the world to be 100% powered by solar. So some really cool big projects. And that's really where my brother and I learned how to really build a company and what it really meant to, to work with some kind of major national companies. And six or seven years ago is when we really focused on to 
driving that um, kind of mindset into what we deemed as some of the biggest problems. And that's where we came across food waste and many other kind of problems that we're trying to tackle, including seaweed-based bioplastics and cardboard. But food waste is where we really got passionate around and kind of created a whole company called Do Good Foods. And it was all predicated upon the stat that 40% of the food that we grow across the country is thrown away. 40%. That's like walking out of the supermarket with five bags and throwing two of them away before you even get in the car. It's a shame and a tragedy. The fact that if food waste was a country, it'd be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter. So if we want to solve climate change, we got to really focus on the food waste. And the problem that currently exists is that there are so many supermarkets and consumers want all products at all times throughout the year. There's no seasonality anymore. And there's a huge disconnect with uh, the, the way food is actually created. Not many people grow up on farms anymore. And so they kind of come to expect that there's good, high quality produce and meat at all times at every supermarket, no matter where you go into. And so inherently that causes a lot of waste because how can you properly manage that supply chain? And what's even worse is that if you think about all the time, energy and resources that went into actually creating that food, not only is it not going to a human's mouth, but now a majority of that food typically goes to landfill where decomposes and rots and landfills and food waste specifically emits methane. Methane is 86 times more potent than CO2. Methane attributes specifically with food waste a like 20 to 30% of the overall greenhouse gas emissions on a yearly basis. So if we want to solve and help solve climate change, we need to actually preserve and upcycle all of those nutrients which based on the EPA food hierarchy is into a very well-known process. The first and best usage of food is to be fed to humans, donated as much as possible. And then no different than when you and I used to grow up on a farm, we used to take our leftovers and feed it to our chickens and pigs and pets out back. And they grew healthy, they grew great. That was a circular economy. So now we're taking our large-scale infrastructure approach uh, and we've pioneered a massive $170 million operating facility where we can actually help solve this problem uh, where we are collecting about 160 tons for, from 450 supermarkets on a daily basis. We convert all of that surplus grocery food that we collect into a healthy dried animal feed the very next day. And then our chickens are raised on the diet that includes that feed. And now we actually launched a brand called Do Good Chicken which is on shelf, and each chicken now stays four pounds of surplus grocery food and three pounds of greenhouse gases, finally making climate change tangible to us all, where you can simply, as a consumer, walk into many supermarkets across the country, buy the brand Do Good Chicken, and now actually be a part of fighting food waste and combating climate change, where if one out of every five pieces of chicken that you ate as a consumer was a Do Good Chicken, we would solve food waste in five years. Wow. So to answer your question about how we kind of became a, a, a leader in a lot of this, it's about the recognition of we need to work with the biggest food companies or biggest energy companies to really drive these transitions. We need to make things economically viable and scalable through their current supply chains, asking them to do nothing different outside of buying this product and not that product. And then most importantly, 
which I think is the big unlock. The main reason we are in this climate change problem is because of consumerism. Resources are going down, populations going up. There's a tremendous inefficiency in the middle, and there's a tremendous consumption that continues to drive the, the re reduction of resources. And so if we can actually now use consumerism, you walking into your local store or your restaurant or whatever it may be, and actually now simply by buying a certain product, you are now having a net positive impact where we can actually use our food system to solve our environmental problems. And you as a consumer can continue to have the products that you know and that you love. That's the future that we have to get to. That is so stunning, Justin. Like, no wonder you're getting all the awards and accolades and attention. And I hope you continue to do more so because not only do you articulate it so well and you're so beautiful while doing it, but the truth is, that, that, that what you guys have glided out is just this incredibly virtuous cycle and so elegant and simple. And I sat there thinking, how could anyone refute how important this is to do? Because whether you were like literally on some extreme right angle and you were climate denier or whatever, you can at least admit that, that people are starving all around the world and there's tremendous waste and consumption and the expenditure and the environmental impact just in terms of pollution for all the waste right all the food waste and just we look at that system and we think um that's broken or whether you you know are looking at the science and you're hey this is a real problem we're really you're heading into trouble on territory here um that needs to be addressed you guys have have come up with a, a solution um and i just think like what you said was so brilliant at the end is like this is something tangible that anyone can do you you know, a lot of people are like, I have to get on a plane for my job or I'm going to drive to my car every day. I'm not going to stop using my vehicle. These behaviors, you know, I, you know, you see people making small little micro changes like, um, OK, I'll, I'll use uh, recyclable, you know, not single use plastics for my water container. And those are amazing. And they all matter. Like, let's carpool. Let's think about this. But it feels like something so simple, like I'm going to eat chicken anyway, if I just buy that product and not this product. I can change uh, things so much. And if we can just get the public to understand what an amazing process. So you would, you, how would you say you guys came about this with like, you said your dad, I mean, I love your dad, Hal, by the way, his dad is a legend. I, I never knew that he started out. You said as a, did you say a plumber? I mean, like what a, what an amazing like blue collar job to then be. Yeah. It's amazing to then be in this, like managing this dynasty and doing so much, at such a global scale, do you guys feel like there are you leading the way in this space, um, both nationally and globally? And are you seeing other quote competitors? And how do you feel about that? Because I would imagine with the, how mission driven your family is, even though it's the private sector, you would be like, yeah, come on, come on, let's get more brands thinking this way. I would imagine that you'd have a little different purview than the average um, capitalist would, because you have a different heart about why you're doing what you're doing, right? So the sole reason we exist is to help solve food waste as quick as possible. So we invite everyone as big of a company or as small as a company to actually be a part of that. And I think that's a really powerful and kind of honest mission where we are working with some of the largest food companies. And the whole Do Good story and the whole Do Good brand can now be activated through other products throughout their supply chain. Because they're seeing the success of Do Good Chicken and Do Good Eggs. And they're saying, well, where else can I use this story with this feed? And uh, so we couldn't be more excited by kind of working with some of the largest food companies on actually elevating this and bringing this to life. Because the sole reason 
do good foods exist is to solve food waste as quick as possible. Now, yeah. when we do solve food waste, that means we're out of, right? And so inherently, we actually invite as many people and as quick as possible to solve this problem because then we can go on to the next problem that's kind of uh, during, uh the kind of climate problems. Yeah, that's amazing. I think I, I know that about you. It's a, it was a bit of a leading question, but I know that you guys have this art of like, you want the big major conglomerates to join you, to partner with you, to, you know, work in, in conjunction with you. You have this really um, open aperture about the way forward. And I, I think you're right. I think like we really can solve problems. Like a lot of, um, a lot of us get shaded over time when you just hear the constant, like, you know, I don't know, beating of the drum of like, we're in trouble. This is a problem. And people feel daunted and they don't know what to do. But there are people like you and your family that are hitting the ground, you know, hit every day. Like literally I've seen images and videos of you with like muddy boots, you know, like literally taking yes. food. The crazy part is actually speaking of images, if anybody goes to the Do Good Food website, what's your website, Justin? Exact URL. And we'll do, do, good, do good chicken .com. Okay, dogoodchicken.com. If you guys go there, you'll see pictures of the, quote, food waste from the supermarket. And when Justin describes taking five bags and throwing away, you said two, or did you say two bags of the five? Or Yeah. Yep. It is literally that. I mean, these are perfectly good groceries. I, I'm like, why is that going in the dumpster? I would eat all of that. Like, it, it, it is <laughs> yes. literally just, a, it has bruises or it's past its cycle of lay-by or whatever, but it's like, completely edible but due to like um regulations and you know litigation in the united states like the food just goes in the dump so justin's family has yep. created this amazing opportunity where they can take that food that would have gone in the dump solve a provide a service to these major these major distributors or grocery stores feed animals that then that sell back that chicken to that same grocery store to feed people again. So it's like this, you know, virtuous cycle, this closed loop system. And that's the way people have to think like holistically. Um, you know, it's really interesting, Justin. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. And you you nailed it because it's about preserving the value of the nutrients. So we mm. actually provide the supermarkets designated bin so that they can actually keep all of that food in the cold chain. But in all of our contracts with the supermarket, we're very public about this. We pick up the food only and after any human donations can occur. But mm. to your point, if those apples go on the ground, well, they can't now provide them to any local community uh, donations. But those mm. apples from a nutrient composition are perfectly fine. It looks like a great green apple. Yeah. We kind of joke where look, the food that we collect, you and I could still have a barbecue and make a salad out of. Mm. And so that's just the reality of the food system. And so why not take and preserve all that food and now make more food out of it? And then you hit on before about the kind of bipartisan nature of it. I mean, I'm very much an environmental realist. I believe in all of the climate change and environmental problems, but I'm also recognizing and understanding uh, what it means to work with the biggest food or energy companies across the world. And actually bringing scalable solutions to them that are first and foremost economically viable, followed by sustainability. And if you can hit on that kind of uh, hierarchy, then we can actually really get these things to scale. But from a Republican or a Democrat perspective, if you're a Republican and you want national security, you want farming jobs, you want uh, a blue collar labor, well, great. We, not, we, we can, by creating a circular economy, reduce our imports, reduce our reliance upon 
energy energy and fertilizer and crops coming from overseas. And we can actually incentivize and build out a huge amount of manufacturing jobs to continue to kind of make America great again. And you if you that. care about as, as, as sustainability and high quality, uh, good businesses, as most Democrats do as well, and great, you got a whole circular economy that you should actually be pioneering and helping to drive and incentivize because that is actually the best thing for America, the best thing for the, the companies within America, and of course, the consumers and the constituents where they're getting great jobs, healthier, better product, and it's all manufactured or in a closed system where we become less reliant on foreign countries. That's it's just so cool. I love anything that we can find right now in society that is nonpartisan, that both sides, we can come together and agree upon things. Even if we have different mechanisms for why, or we, we can both say, this is this is the way forward. We need more tangible ways to partner across party lines and in a society that is feeling so divisive and so problematic. So I love that. So tell me, Justin, like, you're really young to be doing so much at such scale. Like, you you know, you are not as young as you actually seem because you have this like starry eyed, youthful energy. But what I will say, like, I often think about this, the, the scale of what you've had to um, address is not just like making a good product or getting a, a product on the shelves. You're having to embed not only technology, ecosystems, policy. I mean, you're, you're, you're disrupting an entire industry, really. How do you feel and yeah. what have you done to address such a daunting thing as a family? And um, where did you guys start when you were like, okay, this is a food waste problem? Did you just say, okay, let's call a couple experts to your recent books? Where did you start to really try to tackle this? Um, I don't know that there's an easy answer for that. It was a whole lot of, we started off essentially with a Vitamix and saying, okay, how do we now create a process? And a solution to your point from the moment we pick up the food to the moment we collect the food to how do you take 160 tons? I mean, 300,000 pounds every single day and put it through a process and create a nutriently consistent dried animal feed that can then go right into the feed mills and the silos of the farmers across the country. So each step alone uh, took us probably a year or two to kind of figure out, let alone kind of combining them all and then having that be a kind of cohesive. Uh, manufacturing facility and we're still working on it every day is we're kind of our family's motto is every day we re we reserve the right to get smarter and every day we can get a little bit better and so if you take those two approaches to kind of help solve any problem but then you also pair it with yes we brought in a tremendous team that has kind of worldwide expertise and can kind of help navigate yeah. a lot of the twists and turns for us and help expedite our learning um but a lot of it was also trial and error. And then it was also predicated upon the fact of we didn't want to just do something in the lab or kind of on a small scale. We, from day one, said this is a major worldwide problem. Yeah. How do we solve it with a worldwide solution that can be duplicated, not only across the U.S., in my current manufacturing facility in Pennsylvania, is the same layout, the same manufacturing facility, that I need to now build it 49 more times in every major state and across the country and world, and thereby we can actually solve it. So now the blueprint's literally there, ready for us to go. But then it went to the fact that we had to convince consumers to actually be a part of that solution 
to then showcase and validate to every major multinational food company that people care about the environment. So long as you're willing to give them a product that doesn't change their habits, doesn't make them pay a lot more. So we price all of our product below organic, right in line with kind of herd competitors. And if it's priced the same and tastes the same, why wouldn't you now do good for the planet? And so yeah. that much of that brand, you talked about kind of the industry competitors. I had the largest company in the food space, their CEO, a very well-known public person, call me up the day that I launched Do Good Chicken, which has the first ever USDA-approved third-party verified quantifiable carbon equation. So each Do Good Chicken saves three pounds of greenhouse gases making climate change easy and tangible for everyone. Finally, bring sustainability to scale and empowering us all to be a part of the solution by simply enjoying a delicious juice of chicken. That's so stunning. How cool to get that feedback loop from now what are your peers, but you know, uh, you know, people that have such levers of control. What is it that you guys need most at this time as a company? Because really, by all intents and purposes, you guys are kind of in, you're in startup mode, even though... Yeah. How many how many stores are you guys in? How many grocery stores so our audience knows where they can get your product? Target's one. That's where I bought your chicken before, but where else? <laughs> yeah, so Target's one of our great clients. Uh, so is Acme, Safeway, uh, Giant, Ahold, Albertsons, uh, Wake, Burn, ShopRite, Morton Williams. Um, and then we're at about 300 corporate campuses all across the United States. So some of the uh, top leading Fortune 100 companies. Uh, uh, groups like Google and many of the colleges and universities, and we're even selling our do good chicken into the U.S. Senate. Amazing! How cool is that? So basically, we can get this product kind of anywhere. And and kind of going back to my original question, how can people help? I mean, a buy your chicken, like definitely buy buy your product. But what are what are ways people can help? We've got people on here that are entrepreneurs, investors, philanthropists influencers that are going to be listening to this podcast just because of our audience um what what is like your clarion call if you have anybody listening because what you're doing you need all the help you can get absolutely well appreciate you for all that you do and uh the audience that you bring and the the shining light that you are so this is just a all i all i need is just this but um if you ask i mean obviously yes we always consistently raise capital and are raising sizable uh numbers now uh, so that kind of really growth equity. But most importantly, um, it's about telling the story. And I think people that have platforms, people that care about this, we're all on this planet together. And the notion and the recognition that we're all screwed in the next 10 or 20 years if we don't change together. And I feel that on my shoulders every single day. I recognize that what we're doing is one small aspect of the many things that we all collectively need to be doing. We are not going to just reduce our way out of climate change problems. We have to understand and recognize the reality of the businesses that kind of control the world and have a grips on all of how we currently operate. And we need to call attention and bring and work with them to actually bring large scale solutions to the masses because we don't need a technology breakthrough to solve climate change. We just need enough people actually caring and talking about real solutions. And so I hope that Do Good Foods, especially what we're about to announce in the next 
30 or 60 days with some major national partnerships and really bring to life the capability that climate change is one word. Um, I kind of like to talk about it more as a resource depletion and the recognition that we can actually start to change that equation where that equation starts to be a positive rather than a negative. That's so great. The idea to frame it in this hopeful energy, right? Like that posture is so different than waking up and being like nihilistic and being like, we're all doomed, you know, to say, yeah, like we're not going to pretend it isn't a problem that it's, it's not, so we're literally heading off a cliff, but like we, people are doing things. We can do something, come and help, come and help push this folder up a hill because eventually it will gain inertia and we can actually solve things. You know, I think, um, yeah. you know, that some of the most um, impossible ideas have come from just a small group of people. Right. And, and I've seen in my lifetime, just the inertia of goodness and belief and good heartedness. And speaking of like a small group of people, you're in this little family business. And I'm curious, I think there's probably other listeners and people that have worked with family or, you know, people talk a lot about the challenges of working with family. Um, and I've had the opportunity to work with family members and, and currently working with my father in a company that helps uh, address the food chain earlier on in the, in the organic foliar um, spray. It's like organic uh, fertilizer, you know? Um, and, and so earlier on for the, the agricultural part of growing the food um, in the chain and, and, you know, how would, what advice would you give or how has it been working with family? I mean, you guys are really close. You have a beautiful family. I love everybody in your family, but, what what have you kind of learned along this journey um, that you can give advice to entrepreneurs or people as they kind of try to approach, you know, approach the opportunity to work with family? Yeah. Working with family is the, uh, the greatest blessing and, and also one of the most difficult things. Um, we often kind of joke, we, and actually kind of physically kind of put on a hat or take off a hat as to, okay, well, my you're, Am I your CEO or your chairman or am I your father or son? Um, and what type of conversation are we at? So I'm going to give you two different answers. And so finding that balance of really that definitively kind of recognizing what situation you're in and not just letting business cloud all of family time was and is been very important. And I think what my brother, my dad and I all went on our own journey about was which I think we now really recognize and are really thriving with, which I wish we had done a little bit earlier in the, in the business kind of like together, is really sitting down and writing down the three or four things that you are a superhero in. I, am, I know my brother is amazing with the financing, the construction, the logistics, and all of the kind of back-of-the-house operational dynamics. I am terrible at that, all of that. And I know I'm really good at speaking and talking and selling and marketing certain things. And it took us a while to really appreciate each other's skill sets and to really value those because for a while they were just kind of blended together. Well, you just do that, you do that, and then I would drop the ball over here, you would drop the ball over there because we weren't clearly identified in what do you do best? And I think we get asked the question all the time of, well, why do you have co-CEOs? Like, I don't know, quite frankly, why more companies don't have co-CEOs. Because there's no way in hell someone's able to do 
all aspects of the business, if you're really building a large manufacturing with a lot of different components and sales and marketing and operations and logistics, there's no way that someone's able to really properly maintain and manage that. So the best thing that we did as a family was really sit down and say, I don't need to be a superhero in all aspects of business. I need to pick my three or five that fit in line with my personality, that to your point, you can get up every day and just keep grinding away and doing and uh, find that complementary capabilities within kernel of the family. And I think at that moment, you gain a different respect for other people and appreciation for what you like to do and, and what you also don't like to do. Incredible, Justin. I love that. I love that you that you guys have finally figured that out because I'm sure it did take some time to identify the left or right limits of like, who's doing what, what seats on the bus, because especially in a startup, everyone has to wear all the hats and use your analogy, right? It's just, it's just scramble. It's just pick up whatever needs to be done. But now that you're getting in more of a system, it makes sense that you're identifying which seat on the bus you guys own. And that's pretty beautiful. Um, you're, you're kind of in this, like I said, in a startup mode, but that yet you're so big, it feels like you've totally arrived. And yet how long is the company's like, how long has it been around? And tell us where it is in its cycle in terms of like traditional growth chart or whatever. So people understand, because it really is impressive how quickly you guys went to market. And maybe that's just me as a friend watching you go from like, there's an idea, then a few years later, you're like everywhere. Um, yeah. How, tell us a little bit about that, that growth cycle. Yeah. So it's been a many year, like five, six year kind of development cycle, uh, exploring a lot of opportunities, going through every twist and turn and I'm down to mankind. Um, and we started building the facility during COVID. Um, oh, wow. So it was May 20. We got financing in April, um, which was a task in itself of building a manufacturing facility on time and under budget. Never before been done manufacturing. Um, and we did it during COVID, which had its own set of challenges. And then about a year ago, April 22nd of 2022, we actually launched Do Good Chicken, which, as mentioned, it took us 19 months working with the USDA and other uh, governmental approval agencies to actually get the first quantifiable carbon uh, equation on a package of a piece of chicken. So when we launched in April 22nd of last year, we launched with Albertsons and Acme and Safeway and Shaw's and Target and Giant and A-Hold and you name it as to kind of our first partners in this. So it was largely predicated upon the, the, the scale that we've been operating on, um, but also the economic value proposition we provide where we pick up their surplus grocery food from these retailers for free. So we save them tens of millions of dollars, and then we hand them back a standard retail product that they can price right in line with all other retail products, and then make their retail margin on that. So thereby, it becomes one of the most profitable pieces of chicken that they've ever had when they calculate that full closed-loop savings. And so it was really getting all of that buy-in to start. Most companies don't start with some of the largest retailers as partners on day one, um, but we were lucky and appreciative that they've been on this journey with us as to how do they solve food waste, which is also one of their biggest problems. That's absolutely so brilliant how you're making it, um, you know, not just like the right thing to do, but you're making it an economic bottom line incentive. So it can hit your head, your heart and your wallet, right? Like it's like, this makes sense. 
we need to do this as individuals. My, the purpose humanity side of me says yes. And then on top of it, it makes financial sense. How is anyone going to turn you down when you have, when you hit all three of those um, so well? Have, have you, I mean, I'm thinking like over the years as a sales guy, you've done a lot of the lead of the sales, you built the sales team now. But I know early days you were talking like Warren Buffett's family about things and other big names that everyone knows. Do you have any fun stories of like a big win, like that time when you got that phone call from like the largest executive in the food industry saying you just disrupted the food industry? Do you have other big fun wins where you kind of just sat back and thought, man, I can't believe I'm here. I'm pinching myself. Like, how am I in these rooms and these conversations at such high levels of um, conversation? Yeah, I think uh, it's happening kind of every day that it's been pretty amazing that um, I'm now on text message as just friends with a lot of these largest executives, whether it be the head of sustainability of the largest retailers or the head purchasing or the chief merchandising officer at the largest food service companies across the country. Um, and every one of them has said something similar, which has been very fascinating, is that the existing industry, all of your well-known names of companies, are inherently non-sustainable. That's part of the reason we're in this climate change problem is because of the current yeah. system. And the humility and the honesty and the integrity that we can bring to the market with the combination of and the desire to actually partner with some of those existing companies to bring this solution to a larger and broader population as quick as possible. Is a really unique connectivity of being, to your point, a large scale company, but yet still with that family approach and the openness that we've been in the chicken industry and we've been in the food industry for literally one year. And yet we're out competing existing major well known companies. We are scaling across the country as quick as possible. Um, but we're that kind of new kid on the block with a really unique and differentiated, entirely sustainability story. And I was pitching at uh, one of our the largest food service company in the world's uh, vendor conference, and it was ourselves, Do Good Foods. It was the well-known names in the food industry, the household companies, and it was just us. And Every one of those companies had to try to tell the food service world as to why certain products were going to become more sustainable or our 2030 or 2050 goal. That doesn't exist in us. Mm. The only reason we exist is to solve food waste. And the only reason we're focused on selling a chicken is to solve food waste as quick mm. as possible and link it to actually first ever scope three carbon equation so that every company by buying a piece of chicken can now reduce their greenhouse gases associated with their supply chain. And it's just a completely different narrative that everything that we do in our company is predicated on the more sustainable that I can get, the better my carbon equation creates and the more chicken that we can then sell. And so I think that humility and that honesty has opened the door to so many major companies because they're looking and desiring solutions they just don't necessarily know where to look. And then they look at then the consumers and are they trusting it and validating it? Um, and it's an interesting 
position wow, would be. Wow, that's in. fascinating. You know, as you're describing the fact that so many are now thinking about it, or they're trying, they're having, you know, strategy sessions, and they're having conversations, and they're having conferences, and they're in order. Meanwhile, you're doing it right now. You know, like you existed for this purpose, and you're out. And so I, I, I'm glad they're they're giving you the credit where it's due, and that you're able to be a thought leader and and be able to point to them like this is how and ha- and this is why and let's go. Um, we always need people like that that are kind of the first to the first to the market and and really innovating. In your experience, are you finding any of your major groups are any of them like suppressing you, competing with you, like threatened by you? You know, because that's also part of the free market. Unfortunately, it can be like a dog eat the hunk world, and may the best man win. And financial incentives can cause really unethical behavior. Are you seeing some of that? Has it been disheartening at all? Um, it's definitely been. Obviously, I, don't, I haven't experienced anything. Uh, um, not by the law, at least not to my knowledge. Um, but the food industry is, uh, to your point, a, a, a very difficult industry. There are not that many companies for a reason. Uh, there's pretty much eight to t- 10 of them that really control a majority, if not all of the food that we as a society consume. Um, but I think the approach that we have actually gives us a unique standing in the world of the type because we're working with these retailers in such unique ways. We cross connect their food waste team with their sustainability, with their CFO, with their head of operations, and then their poultry category. And for many of these people, it's the first time that they're all in the room at the same time is with a meeting with us. And so bringing together a different solution than just selling a product, selling a product, selling a product, we're actually really partners and, and, and friends and family with these groups because they want us to succeed. And they're doing things to enable us to succeed in, in ways that, quite frankly, I never thought um, would be possible um, in, in a good, positive way. They're giving us free shelf space. They're giving us real activations. They're enabling us to come into the store and tell the employees our story and show them, the, to your point, the photos of the food that we're collecting it. Those green bins that you're putting the surplus grocery food in the back, those are mine. And I'm now converting that into the chicken feed. And then here's our chicken and making that link in, in a human way. And I think that's what's so powerful is that we talked about the heart of people. Um, it's not just the consumers. It's also the store employees and, it, and everyone up and down the supply chain that is now a part of something bigger. I can't tell you how many people we have on our team that thought that they were retired and said, the moment I heard the story of do good, I came out of retirement because I can now do what I've done for 30 or 40 years in the poultry industry and now do it where I can go and tell my kids and my grandchildren that I did something really positive for the environment. And I hope this company succeed that despite all odds, because it's better for the planet and it's what we need and absolutely have to do. That has got to feel good, Justin, to have people show up to work because they believe so much in your guys' why. And you mentioned humility and, um, you know, the mark of a humble person is that they don't often see themselves as very humble because they're just so 
uninterested in themselves. And I just can say that you are one of the most humble leaders I know, and you're so unassuming about how you operate. And, you know, you'll be in meetings with people and you have no desire to posture or tell them what you're accomplishing. You're just quietly doing it. And all you are is interested in others and supporting others. You're such a dream. I remember uh, one, you guys, this is a funny story. I'll just, I remind Dustin about this all the time, but once we were talking and I was like, man, for being so lucky and talented and smart and successful and and coming from such a successful family and now building something so unbelievably um, celebrated, you know, like, how did you become so humble? And we were talking about trials growing up and you'd mentioned that you had struggled a little bit with like stuttering and bullying and you'd had, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is why you're not an a-hole. This is why you're a sweetheart. You've actually, you've had <laughs> suffering in your past. Like, I, you know, and I teased you about that because truly like, um, there is something really magical in you where you just have this deep empathy for others. I, I would I would imagine the people who work with you just enjoy it so much. You're such a good friend. So Justin, what do you think it is that has um, helped shape your leadership style and your humility in your life? Like when you look at little Justin growing up and your environment, where you're from, you know, like what do you think most has instilled in you the core values that you try to embody as a leader every day? And I think personally, you're radically succeeding in embodying. So I think uh, you kind of hit on it. I, I did grow up with a speech impediment um, from about two years old up until about eighth grade. So I went to speech class every single day throughout that entire time um, and really couldn't speak well until about fourth or fifth grade. So very early had to understand and recognize um, different ways of communication, different ways of reading people and approaching different situations. Uh, I joke with my team that that's actually how I'm able to do, be on Zoom t- two Zooms at once is because I can actually kind of hear out of both of my ears and kind of decipher it. Wow. It's a weird trade, but it probably goes back to the fact that I couldn't really talk that well. So I was always having to listen and appreciate what everyone else was saying in a different way. Um, and then it sounds corny, but I, I really appreciate the way my parents kind of uh, brought us up. Um, as mentioned, my mom and dad built stuff out of nothing. They mortgaged their house four times with three kids. They, my mom was renovating two bedroom apartments to make it meet. Um, my father is one of the best entrepreneurs of all time. And again, he came at 12 years old where he was field, he was a field uh, foreman, pipe fitting uh, in boiler rooms. And so that work ethic and that drive is something that they very much distilled in us. Um, and most importantly, when we got into the business, we started off, my brother and I, as the lowest level people. Um, I mean, I sat outside my dad's office cold calling uh, for about three years to every building owner, landowner across New Jersey and New York for solar. And it wasn't until about two years into that that I think I made my first sale cold calling. Uh, but I learned the act of communication and learned the act of Every day you go there and you do something that you kind of hate, but it's what the company needs. And my brother did the same thing on engineering where he learned and had to kind of do all the blood, sweat and tears of everything kind of on the bottom. And now many of those people now work for us. But on top of that, the last thing is that it's still, I think of us as a plumbing family. So when you mentioned like when we started our production facility, my brother, my mom, my dad, and I were down there cleaning, and 
trying to centrifuge out the, the fats and uh, trying to dislodge the silo. And we're there till 2 a.m. I'm sleeping on the factory floor. Um, our whole team that's been with us for 20, 30 years are there 24-7. And we're figuring it out with everyone, um, getting our hands dirty and underneath the, the worst part in the facility. Great. That's where I'm going first um, because the rest people can have an easier job. And so that mindset and that approach has, I think, built the company in a way where we do have people that um, are sacrificing a lot to be with us, but it's because of that family approach and that never give up, that you never fail at it. Well, I can just um, bear witness that the KMI family are some of the best people, just deeply generous, and any success they have as stewards of it, all they do is try to bless people around them, share, empower, and... Um, try to make everyone and everything they come in contact better than they found it. You guys are phenomenal. I'm so grateful you came on the show today, Justin, and I'm excited. I've been trying to get Justin to come visit me on the North Shore to get some vacation time because he is working real hard. So all the listeners out there, when you guys uh, just remember, do good food, check, look for it. It's really cute branding. It looks like a little, it's a little chicken um, yeah. on the, and you can't miss it because, it, you know, it, it talks pretty clearly that, hey, this is, you know, this is around sustainability. So I really appreciate you coming on and you have the best, best week. I hope you have the most success you guys have seen yes, this month. I'm so excited for you. Awesome. Thank you, Lindsay. As always, such a pleasure. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.